Welcome to The Term, a podcast about the Supreme Court by Law360. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court for Law360 here in Washington. And joining me now from New York is Law360 editor-at-large and co-host Natalie Rodriguez. How's it going, Natalie? Hey, Jimmy. Pretty good. Uh, I feel like it's been a a bit of a calm week. Uh, I I like to think of it as the calm before the storm. Uh, For the end of the term, I know there's like about two dozen opinions uh, still yet to be released. And we're, you know, I'm kind of bracing myself for them. (laughs) But uh, this week, it's been pretty chill. Yeah, I would say so, too. There were a couple items that we're going to get into later in the episode. They involve um, unredacted documents from uh, the Mueller grand jury and also, you know, a big terror judgment um, against Sudan. Uh, But in the meantime, yeah, there was a there was kind of a brief respite this week that we're going to use to take a look at one of the Supreme Court's more enigmatic members, and that's Justice Clarence Thomas, who's kind of having a bit of a moment lately. Uh, You know, we were talking recently about, you know, him speaking up at the teleconference oral arguments but beyond that he's kind of the subject of some new media attention in the form of a new documentary that we're going to be talking about later but also profiles in the new york times um but beyond that he's also kind of been coming into his role as the court's new senior associate justice um after the retirement of justice anthony kennedy and you know i think you see proof of his newfound kind of influence in the fact that a lot of his former clerks have, you know, gone on to high positions in the Trump administration and and, and the federal bench. I feel like Thomas's star has really risen in many ways over the last few years. But I think when a lot of people think about him, they they really just think about a that he's known for being a pretty silent justice and b he's known for his really controversial confirmation hearings. So this documentary, uh, which is called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas, in his own words, uh, was pretty interesting because it really was more about his backstory. And it really goes into, you know, kind of his formative childhood milestones and life milestones um, in an effort to perhaps shed some light on who he is uh, beyond just, you know, his role as a justice. Right. And his role as a, a very conservative justice in particular, I think that there's something in this documentary for, you know, just people that are interested in the Supreme Court to learn, you know, a lot more about uh, Clarence Thomas's personal biography be, beyond those headlines about, you know, him being silent on the bench, which he actually doesn't really get into in the documentary itself. Um, and obviously the the Hill allegations, which f- feature more prominently. Um but at the same time, there were a few shortcomings as well for people who wanted to get, you know, a fuller picture of how Justice Thomas became the conservative firebrand that he is today on the court. I mean, we're going to get into those with our editor at large for Law 360, Ryan Davis, who reviewed uh, the documentary for us and had some pretty interesting thoughts. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So what did you learn from the documentary about Justice Thomas? I know you have some... Uh some interesting takes on on the the PBS flick. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I felt like I did learn uh, some interesting things about his upbringing and uh, his childhood and uh, kind of early early years in in college, where he talks about in the movie that his political views were diametrically opposed to where they are today. Uh, He talks about protesting the Vietnam War and like falling in with like the Radical Black Students uh, Association uh, in college, Um, which given some of the positions that he's taken on the the court over the decades, 
uh, kind of came as a surprise to me. Um, but uh, I felt like I didn't learn as much about how he got to where he did uh, in terms of his political views. It seems like it would be a really interesting story to talk about this kind of uh, 180 almost of uh, what his political thinking, but the, the movie I felt like didn't really explain that <laughs> as well as it could have. Uh, I know both of you have watched the movie. Um, so what did you, did you think the same thing that I did about this or did you find more insight? I, I, uh, I had, I had similar thoughts about it in that, you know, there is kind of that period in the 70s where his kind of political transformation from, you know, the leader of a, uh, the black student union at, at Holy Cross College in Massachusetts to then, you know, working for, uh, you know, a, a Republican attorney general in Missouri and then, you know, in Congress and eventually serving in the Reagan administration. You get little insights um, into, you know, kind of what what changed uh and i think like in particular there's a particular focus on his relationship with his family you know his his grandfather who raised him um who was a very stern you know uh working class uh african american in in the jim crow south um who according to thomas had you know all these various phrases you know old man can't uh is dead i helped bury him in the like and just it kind of you kind of get a sense, you know, with the way that he speaks about his grandfather that, you know, he revered this man and that he thought that, you know, this bootstraps kind of ideology, it was it was awakened in him over that period of the 70s. But I agree with you, the whole uh, r- the radical transformation from, you know, uh, you know, these the, the black student group in, in in that college to just a few years later where he would kind of become the eventual firebrand that he is today on the Supreme Court, there's probably a little bit left uh, to be desired. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the film really took a lot, basically, from his autobiography. Um, And I feel like it left a lot kind of for you to try to read between the lines rather than making direct connections about his philosophy. Like, I, I feel like, you know, the way he talks about his grandfather and about how that was such a turning point in his life because suddenly he was going to this house that was very strict, very rules and regulation, right? He made it very clear that it was by grace that we were there, his grace. And the door uh, in 1955 when we went to live with him was swinging open, inward. And if we didn't behave ourselves, there'd be a day when it would swing outward. And we'd be asked to leave. You can kind of read into that, that, you know, that kind of gave him this appreciation for such a, you know, kind of the strict letter of the law, rigid, you know, going by the rules because it gave him structure. Right. But it, it, I feel like the film really didn't kind of make those direct connections and you're kind of left to hypothesize on your own in a lot of ways. So, Ryan, I want to ask you, you know, what you made of uh thomas's comments you know and this kind of goes to that really formative period in the 70s that you know i know you think that maybe it could have done more but it seemed like the 
the policies of the 60s and 70s and in, in the quote unquote social engineering of you know busing and, and desegregation that Thomas bemoaned it really you know played a role in forming his you know very conservative what he would then describe as like a libertarian but eventually formed into like a conservative ideology what do you think that you know played if what role do you think that played if any in, in what he would ultimately become on the Supreme Court um, yeah, I mean, there is, uh, there's some of that, uh, in the movie, um, where he, uh, he I think he gets into busing, uh, kind of, uh, more specifically than some of the other things about how he felt that it, that, that was a program that was ostensibly designed to, you know, desegregate schools and help, um, with racial equality. And he just didn't think that that was worthwhile at all to be taking, kids i guess from one what in his view bad school to another uh and um yeah i mean there's sort of sort of hints of that 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 kind of undergirding his political transformation um uh and that was one of the you know one of the things where i felt that there was some more insight into it than some of the other positions that he's taken on the court um which is another thing that I wanted to mention about the movie. Like, it's a movie about a Supreme Court justice, and he becomes a Supreme Court justice, like, at the very, very end of the movie. Yeah. Like, this time... At an like, hour court. and 50 yeah. minutes of the one hour and 55-minute documentary, you're like, okay. <laughs> the yeah, the interesting thought, part of his life is over. Now he's just a boring <laughs> Supreme Court justice who has nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I was really struck by that. Like, there's, there's a reason that he's interesting person to make a movie of is that he's on the supreme court but they don't they talk about maybe one case that he decided right. <laughs> in his three decades on the supreme court um that's another area that i was sort of lacking i i thought that the the limits of the the documentary notwithstanding one kind of interesting kind of telling point um telling moment was when they flash forward to you know his famous um confirmation proceedings when he was the subject of sexual harassment allegations by then law professor and I think still law professor Anita Hill, um, where this was prior to those allegations, I think becoming public when Senator Ted Kennedy was, you know, questioning him and, and saying, you know, you're telling me that you've never, cause they were trying to get him to opine on Roe versus Wade. And they, and he said, you know, you're telling me that you've, you've never discussed Roe versus Wade with anyone. And, you know, it turns kind of back to Clarence Thomas, who sat, I think, for like 30 hours for this documentary. And he says, you know, they refuse to, to believe, believe a lot of things. It's really isn't that fascinating. I have to I have to have discussed it because they wanted me had to have discussed it. <laughs> it goes back to the thing about affirmative action. You have to believe in affirmative action because we think you ought to believe in affirmative action. Well, how's that different from slavery? How's that different from segregation? How's that different from being told you can't walk across that park? Oh, you can't think those thoughts. What role do you think this kind of like defiance against what he sees as like the reigning liberal orthodoxy? What role do you think that plays just in his like governing ideology on the court even today? Yeah, uh, that's very striking. Like his whole idea of... um, you know, people can't believe that I think this way. Um, and that really <laughs> grates on him. Um, like does seem to inform a lot of, a lot of his thinking, but like Natalie said, you kind of have to read between the lines into like yeah. how 
it, that would translate into some of the ways that he's ruled in various cases. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like that taking that perspective and applying it to a specific case and how he came out that way would have been more enlightening than just to let him kind of express his defiance to this worldview, um, letting him talk about how it, you know, translates into some judicial ruling that he's made. You do, you do, I feel, get the sense that just personality wise, he, he hates to be told like what to do and how to think. <laughs> yes, um, that comes across very clearly. <laughs> I think there was definitely some merit, you know, there were some interesting nuggets in the documentary itself, yeah. but it wasn't exactly, you know, adversarial or hostile in, in tone. In fact, it was pretty laudatory of Justice Thomas. I kind of liken it to like the last dance, you know, for Clarence Thomas rather than Michael Jordan. And it's just kind of like <laughs> a gift to some of his many acolytes during these uh, very boring uh, quarantine times. But I mean, did you kind of agree with that? That, you know, it 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 didn't take, you know, too much of a magnifying glass to scrutinizing uh, Thomas and seeing whether his, some of his views held up. Uh, yeah, the uh, the title of the movie actually is uh, created equal Clarence Thomas in his own words. And that's very apt because almost the entire movie is him talking. Uh, and uh, it's directed by a guy named Michael Pack. Um, who uh, is uh, the, a fellow at a conservative think tank and has actually been nominated by President Trump uh, to, the, to lead the federal media agency uh, that oversees Voice of America. So he's very kind of, uh, you know, keyed into the conservative movement. And that's kind of the, the light that the, <laughs> the documentary is, is, is shining on, on Clarence Thomas here. Well, it certainly sounds uh, like, Thomas is having a, a bit of a similar moment to uh, RBG being the notorious RBG. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if he'll get his own uh, nickname uh, at the end of uh, all this attention. <laughs> You're going to start point. seeing Clarence Thomas merch like all over Amazon after. <laughs> 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 Ryan, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking us uh, through the through the documentary. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Moving to the news of the week, uh, on Wednesday, the Supreme Court temporarily blocked the release of unredacted documents from the Mueller grand jury investigation that were being sought by the House Judiciary Committee. So this will give uh, the Trump administration and the Department of Justice time to file an appeal of D.C. Circuit uh, rulings that were forcing uh, the government to hand over some of these transcripts and other unredacted materials to House investigators. This pushes the timeline that the DOJ has to comply uh, with, with these subpoenas for these documents uh, until the Supreme Court decides what to do with their appeal from the D.C. Circuit and potentially could signal the court's interest in taking up the appeal and the merits of it and reviewing whether they even have to comply with the subpoenas at all. So this is going to be a big issue as the presidential race heats up and you know House investigators are really interested in some of these uh, questions surrounding uh, the president's conduct during the Mueller investigation and whether there was any potential uh, obstruction of justice there. Meanwhile, the only opinion of the week came out on Monday, and it's a, a bit of a technical ruling in, in a relatively obscure case, but it has some major implications for terrorism victims in the U.S. Uh, the main takeaway is that Sudan's on the hook for $4.3 billion worth of punitive damages over the 1998 embassy bombings in Kenya and Tanzania. 
In a unanimous 8-0 vote with Justice Brett Kavanaugh not participating, the Supreme Court basically paved the way for terrorism victims who were affected by terrorism decades past to be able to seek punitive damages. Um, It's a pretty big change uh, because it allows terrorism victims who were affected by events from decades past to be able to seek punitive damages. Um, You know, the justices ruled uh, basically that a legislative change Congress made uh, allowing for those kind of punitive damages in 2008 is retroactive. Uh, So fairly, fairly major impact, I think, for for a lot of these terrorism victim cases. And with that, I, you know, it was the only opinion of the week. Uh, I know there are several more (laughs) headed our way soon. Uh, That's it for us this week. Yeah, thanks, Natalie. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, our executive producer, Amber McKinney, and our contributing reporters this week, Ryan Davis and Corey Atkinson. Music for the show comes from Slender Beats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law360 in the term. Thanks for listening. And oh, please leave us a review. <laughs>